Welcome to the Market Leaders Podcast, where you'll find valuable business development and marketing insights from legal innovators. Hello, and welcome back to the Market Leaders Podcast. I'm David Ackert, and today I'm joined by Jillian Brennan, who is the Director of Client Relations at Dorsey & Whitney, an international law firm with over 550 lawyers. Jillian, great to have you with us today. Thank you so much, David. Tell us a little bit about your background and your firm. I started here as an attorney. I was a trial lawyer first, and I moved to the real estate group. And then about, I guess it's almost 10 years ago now, I was asked to take a uh, leadership role in our marketing and business development group. And I've been doing that ever since, and it was a great switch for me. I concentrate mainly on working with our partners and our management in expanding the current relationships we have with our clients. Well, let's talk a little bit about those client relationships. I know one of the initiatives that you were excited to share today on this interview is an initiative that allows you to expand relationships with high potential clients at the firm. That's right. We have started a very intentional key client initiative. Our managing partner, Ken Cutler, had this vision and it kind of played off the firm's client teams approach. And I know that a lot of other firms have client teams and members of the team get together and discuss what they're doing, maybe some opportunities and, you know, just share the gossip about the the client, basically. And Ken's idea was to become a little bit more intentional, a little bit more focused on growing revenue from particular clients. And those clients are chosen for a couple of reasons. First, on the macro level, where is the client going? Have they been clients that we have been expanding our relationship with organically over the last few years? Is it a client that's going to be acquired soon? Is there news or rumblings of that? One of the clients in the initiative is a client that has a new general counsel, and it turns out to be a lawyer from Dorsey who went to be general counsel. We don't have a huge book right now from that client, but we hope to grow it. So those are kind of the big reasons that someone would be put on the the initiative panel, but others are the, the leaders of these client teams, the type that are going to be responsive, the type that are going to be engaged. So those are kind of the micro level factors that went into deciding which clients are going to be a part of this initiative. And basically, you know, we'd have more frequent and organized meetings with only maybe two to four key people who have great relationships with the client. Generally, they are the formal relationship partner and maybe a couple of partners who do work in different practice groups and oversee a lot of people who do work for the client. The goal of these teams is to develop stronger long-term relationships and generate more business. So I understand the selection criteria. That makes sense. And I applaud you for uh, having a more sophisticated filtering than just who are the top 10 clients who deliver the highest revenue to the firm. Tell me a little bit about what goes on in these meetings, because as you pointed out earlier, most firms have some sort of key client program. But a lot of times what that ends up looking like is lawyers sitting around the conference room table talking about the various matters that they're working on. And it rarely has a strategic business development angle to it, or at least not a very consistent one. You're right. That's really where it differs from a general client team meeting. We've set expectations from the relationship partners that we're going to be setting goals at each meeting and you have to come back and report on them. So in these meetings, we have a spreadsheet of action items and there's short-term action items and long-term action items. And we basically go around and see what's been done since the last 
meeting. We meet every, let's say, six weeks and assign maybe one task, maybe two tasks to each of the relationship partners that they have to follow up on before the next meeting. And we send out reminders of what those tasks are. They probably get done the day before the meeting and that's just fine, you know, as long as they get done. So there's so there's some accountability and there's a real feeling that, you know, the ball keeps moving forward. And I think that's why people have been really receptive. A lot of these partners that are participating, like I said earlier, we've chosen them because we think that they would be really good participants. They'd be engaged and they enjoy having that accountability. They really enjoy having someone assist them in doing these things that they know that they should do and having these regular meetings, getting some ideas on how to accomplish some of the tasks that they have. Meeting with broad spectrum of clients is really good for Ken and myself to hear how different teams might help others, how different styles of clients require different care and feeding, if you will. But it really comes down to accountability. I mean, who needs an introduction to whom? And that needs to happen in the next six weeks. And it does. I want to underscore a couple of elements that I think are lending to the success of this initiative. One is that you're meeting regularly. You're not meeting once a quarter. You're meeting as frequently as once every six weeks, which I think is important to note simply because so often these client team programs feel like a little bit of a nuisance for the lawyers. Ah, it's another meeting. You know, I can't bill for this time. So let's do it once a quarter. Or, you know what? Let's do it once every six months. Oh, you know what? Let's just push it off to the partner retreat. I mean, I think so often this ends up being in the someday maybe list. You mean that's not just Dorsey? No, no, you're in good company. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) The other thing that really resonated with me was the idea of assigning just one task to each partner. You want to keep it reasonable. You know, so often law firms will give their lawyers a business development plan template, and it's a five or 10 page document, and they fill out the form and it sits on the server collecting dust. And there's just so much there that the lawyers have to tackle that they, again, end up procrastinating it. And unless there's a real effort on behalf of the lawyer or on behalf of the business developers who are holding the lawyers accountable to those plans, they're lucky if they get even a little of it accomplished. But the idea of, okay, you know, we had this meeting, I have six weeks to get one thing done. Surely I can do that. And, you know, if I didn't do it, it's really on me. So I think that the fact that you're structuring it this way really helps. Of course, the accountability that you and your team are providing are key as well. I think you're right. And yet really turning to business development is often just such a switch from what you've been working on all day. I mean, as the director of client relations, I'm concentrating on business development all day and the business development of our partners and where the firm is going. But when you're, you know, working on a brief about some, you know, business tort, and then suddenly you're switching gears into some completely different client. Do I need to go to lunch with next week? And what are we going to talk about? It it can be, especially for some lawyers who are marketing, to make that switch. And so I think just assigning one thing, it's very doable. And when you get it done, you have succeeded. These are people who, who strive for success and you know, you're playing to things that they they really want for themselves. Well, I can hear the empathy that you have for your lawyers, and it makes perfect sense to me. I mean, I think to sort of bring the point home, it would be like in, in our world as business developers and marketers, somebody came in and assigned us at least 10 to 15 minutes of finger painting every day. 
You know, it like, it's like, what? Uh, that's so not what I'm doing. It's going to take me out of my rhythm. It requires a completely different part of my brain. Can I just not get around to that? So I, I do think that oftentimes lawyers can relate to this stuff in that way, especially as you say, when they have been neck deep in a brief or in the middle of litigation or a trial. So yeah, finger painting. Wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice? Let's talk a little <laughs> bit about how you're focused on your team. I know that this is one of the things that's really important to you and one of the things that you've put a lot of energy into in terms of mentoring the marketers and business developers who report to you, advising them. And you have a unique approach to this. Would you mind uh, sharing a few thoughts? Sure. I really do take it seriously that I have some junior mid-level professionals reporting to me and that they look to me for leadership. They look to me for guidance. I think that is a huge honor and it's a huge responsibility. And basically my strategy, you know, I read something, a quote by Lee Iacocca earlier this week that said, hire smart people and get out of their way. And that's what I try to do. We play to people's strengths. I think it's really important to let the coordinators and the managers lead the way. They make their own jobs. You know, they they do things that they're good at. I mean, everyone has things that they have to do, and maybe they're not tasks that you're specifically wired to do very well. But in general, I think they know what their strengths are. They know what they like doing. You know, usually they go hand in hand. And I really encourage people to kind of make their own way. And I follow them and maybe give them a little guidance. And I think that's the same with attorneys, you know, especially, I don't know how it is at other firms, but I think one great thing about Dorsey is you can you come in and you can pretty much do what you want. You can make your own way, both in practice and in business development to get the kind of clients that you want. And frankly, David, that's what I think is a great thing about practice boomers is that you encourage these partners that we're working with to leverage their own strengths. There's not one particular way to go about business development. There are some general themes and there is definitely intentionality that goes with it, but there's not one particular way. And I think that's the way to make people their best. I mean, I've heard from the people that have gone through the Practice Boomers program. And now, as you know, we're in our second round, our second cohort. And they really appreciate that it's not just this formulaic, you got to do this, this, and this type of approach. It These are kind of some general themes and ways to go about it. But the actual execution differs from one person to another based on what they're good at. So I, I kind of approach um, mentoring for our team the same way. I appreciate your comments on that. You know, you and I had talked a little bit before about the idea of niching. And while it's certainly important for lawyers to have an area of specialization or an expertise, particularly if it's within an, a specific industry so that they can attract those kinds of clients to them, they can corner at least a micro niche. It's also important for marketers to develop some of that kind of distinction in the marketplace. There is more and more, I think, a call for marketers to stop being generalists and to identify what it is within our field that they are going to point to as their calling card. Are they particularly strong in marketing technology? Are they particularly strong in competitive intelligence? Are they more oriented around CRM? Are they more marketing? Or are they more biz dev? And of course, you know, there's more and more a push for law firms to train their in-house marketers to be competent at business development. So it ties into what you're saying in terms of playing to your strength. And there are so many directions you can take because this role of marketer or business developer is becoming very complicated within the firm. There are a lot more branches on that tree than there were even five years ago. 
Oh, absolutely. Definitely. And people on our team definitely trend one way or the other. That's going to be my quote for the day. You can wear both hats, but there's only so much room on your head. (laughs) There are days when I really do need to remember that. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) So I have one last question for you, Jillian. Where do you go for innovation, inspiration, intelligence? How do you discover the next way that you'll be able to play to your strength? You know, I have started listening to this podcast, quite frankly, and it is really helpful to hear what other people kind of in in my role are going through, and I've gotten some great ideas. So thank you for that, David. I really do appreciate all the work that you do for us. And my husband is a musician. He is in this industry that reminds me very much of the legal industry right now. It is full of people who are really good at their jobs, very skilled, but maybe there's not enough work to go around. And, you know, seeing him and his colleagues in the music industry go about how they're going to get the next gig and how they're going to differentiate themselves, you know, that really does inspire me to see someone's doing something new, some new band that has a particular sound. We've been grieving Prince for over a year. And, you know, to see a Prince cover band come up with these excellent musicians is something, you know, it's a niche a void that people wanted filled. So kind of seeing that this isn't just lawyers, this is every industry, you have to make your way and you have to identify ways to make yourself stand out. And I think getting out of the legal industry is really inspiring for me. I see different ways to approach the same problem. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's really an astute observation. I had not thought to put those two industries side by side. And yet, as you're describing this, it makes perfect sense. 15 years ago or so, the music industry completely changed in terms of its business model, its delivery model. And in some ways, a lot more opportunities opened up. Your secret to success was no longer just signing with a label, right? And and in fact, there's a local band that I have listened to for many years out of California, and sort of lead guy on that band moved to a subscription model last year. He was like, look, I'm tired of trying to put out, you know, either CDs or downloads and trying to get you to pay for song by song or album by album. I'm not making enough money. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you on a subscription level. You can either subscribe at this level or that level. And based on your subscription level, you'll get different things, either a certain number of songs or you'll be able to hear tracks that I'm working on and maybe even give me some input on which direction you think I should go. So really uh, opened up the kind of back door, if you will, in terms of the fan base being able to participate more proactively with the artist. And he got me to subscribe at the highest level. He's making more money off of me than he was when I was buying all of his albums. So really creative and absolutely a response to the landscape. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a really successful AFA to me. That's right. There it is. The AFA in music. Mm Mm-hmm. I so appreciate your sharing some of the things that you're doing at Dorsey and some of the ruminations that you have maybe when you're on your drive home or when you're talking to your husband. It's all really thought-provoking. So thanks for lending a few minutes of your day-to-day to this interview. I wish you all the success in your key client program at Dorsey and in the months and years ahead as you continue to flourish at the firm. Thank you so much, David. And I do want to reiterate my thanks to you for this podcast. And you do so much work for the people who you serve. And I really do appreciate it. I think it's important to let people know when they're appreciated. We all have to practice what we preach. And if we're going to preach value ads, we've got to deliver them. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Thanks, David. Thanks again. 
Thank you for listening to the Market Leaders Podcast. For more business development resources, visit ackertinc.com.